we're shifting the, the map is following the commonwealth planning guidance uh, right now so it's a there's a, a different mindset in where the marine corps is going and how the marine corps is willing to fight and that sort of uh direction i think necessitates that we work with our partners in the region this episode was hosted by robert boudreau a major at the u.s marine corps reserve currently assigned to fourth civil affairs group Welcome to the 1CA podcast. Today we're joined by Lieutenant Colonel Jan Olson and Lieutenant Colonel Corbin Crakes. Both of them are Marine Corps judge advocates who have worked in the civil affairs community. Lieutenant Colonel Olson is currently assigned to Code 14 General Litigation uh, at the Department of the Navy Office of the Judge Advocate General at the Washington Navy Yard. Lieutenant Colonel Crakes is currently assigned to the Civil Military Operations Center where he's the officer in charge of G3 fires at 3rd Marine Corps Expeditionary Force, 3rd MEF. Gentlemen, welcome to both of you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right, Colonel Olson, uh, I'll ask, uh, would you mind sharing a little bit of your background, what you've done in the Marine Corps, and how you came to be involved in civil affairs? Sure. Uh, it's hard to believe, but I've been in the Marine Corps since 1996. I started off as a Marine reservist, did uh, parachute rigging, and then uh, found my way to civil affairs community during that first move. You know, and I was out there with 4th CAG in D.C., was located in D.C. at that time. And uh, during that experience, uh, really got hooked on civil affairs. You know, I, I was able to do my first deployment out there, you know, with S-4 NATO. And uh, excuse the dog, you know, you're working from home, I guess, uh, sign of the times. No problem. But, uh, you know, got a uh, seven-month, uh, you know, tour out there, again, doing peacekeeping operations and, and just really really enjoyed that tour doing civil affairs work and always had my eye open for another opportunity to do it. Uh, later I got back, got a commission in 2001, you know, after the fleet, you know, after finishing law school, passing the bar in 2005. And since then I've had a variety of bills, trial counsel and defense counsel, uh, B billets, uh, you know, a number of things, but really, I, uh, really had the good fortune last year to, when I was at, at three MEF, uh, to be a, you know, a civil affairs officer and got to, kind of really full circle, bring it back, you know, going from being a corporal doing civil affairs way back in, in 99, 2000, and then, you know, able to come back out here all these years later in the Marine Corps and, and do civil affairs uh, for, you know, a couple of years, you know, with 3MEF and, and all over the uh, you know, Indo-PACOM area. And so wide experience, but I, I got to say, I, I just love doing civil affairs and, and always look for the opportunity to do it. Have you had the opportunity to do professional education in the Marine Corps? In the legal community, you know, went to T. Jaglicks and you know got an LM there. You know, EWS, Expeditionary Warfare School, commanded staff. So we always education is always a big piece. And then as far as uh, civil affairs training, you know, I had the opportunity to get out to McMoss and get the civil affairs MOS as well as the uh, CMO planners MOS. All right, thanks, sir. Colonel Craig, uh, would you mind sharing your background as well? Uh, of course. I. Uh like uh, Jan came in in the 90s, I came in in 94 as an uh, enlisted reservist. I was an avionics tech. Uh, then uh, I became a judge advocate upon getting commissioned. I had your traditional judge advocate roles, trial counsel, uh, legal assistance, uh, civil law, did all that variety. But then I had my opportunity to deploy with the uh, 3rd Battalion 2nd Marines. And that was my first opportunity to work with civil affairs that was in Alkheim and Huseba. 
there I uh, worked a lot with, it was 110, that was civil affairs at the time, we were using artillery marines. So we were very much in our infancy at uh, civil affairs. And I did rule of law development with them. So I developed the requirements and worked with the hand in hand with civil affairs to uh, help develop courthouses and judicial necessities in the region. Um, I also deployed to Afghanistan and did something very similar with, uh, I was with second LAR and we're side by side with civil affairs there. So not, not civil affairs at the time by training, but side by side with them. Last five years, uh, I was at Marine Corps Systems Command doing acquisitions, uh, contract attorney. Um, I was at Pentagon with counsel for the Commandant, but I got this assignment uh, leaving, the, leaving uh, Marine Corps Syscom. Thought it would be a good opportunity to try something out a little different and get to Okinawa and travel and have, a, have some new experiences. So it seemed like a good opportunity. Thank you, sir. Uh, Colonel Craigs, uh, returning to you quickly. Um, so you've been to the Marine Corps Civil Military Operations School as well, is that right? I have, yes. I went to both the uh, Civil Affairs course and also the CMO Planners course. All right, sir. Well, uh, in your current billet, uh, what are your primary responsibilities uh, as the Civil Military Operations OIC at 3MEP? We're undergoing a lot of changes in terms of how we view civil affairs. And so it's been very different from the time that uh, Jan was here, which was just before me. Things have changed rapidly. So my responsibilities right now are to plan all aspects of civil reconnaissance, civil engagement, and those opportunities throughout the region. Um, and also to find opportunities to assess and uh, partner with allies and within the civilian community and partners within the civilian community. So I'm, I'm more of a planner right now. And uh, one of the challenges has been COVID has made traveling very restrictive. So it's, as you can imagine, being a planner for uh, civil military operations and doing everything virtually is, is, uh, had its challenges. But back to your original question, what are my responsibilities? I look for those opportunities where we can show that we're ready to respond, we are uh, not going to leave the region, and we are fully capable of uh, supporting our allies and partners and communicating that to the civilian population. Thank you, sir. Colonel Olson, you were the predecessor to Lieutenant Colonel Craig's uh, in his current billet, is that right? That's right. And I, I would say that there was a, a lot of crossover from the things that I did while I was there. Although at the time we didn't have COVID obviously, and we did have a lot more travel opportunities, which is again, one of the things I really enjoy is those engagements, getting out with the communities, talking with you know, our, our partners, our military partners, talking to mayors and, and just you know, getting into communities and getting to know the communities. Uh, so I, I enjoyed a lot of, it sounds like a lot more travel at the time, although we were primarily CMO planners. It's interesting you know, how dynamic this field is. And you see just from bill to bill, you know, as we do one turnover, you know, there's a lot of changes. And as I came in the year before that, there were also dramatic changes. We had actually had a, a platoon of civil affairs Marines that were going out in teams of three, four and, and, and supporting exercises. And we had a lot of uh, you know, Marines out there and coming back and, and just getting great experience. And by the time I came in, I, you know, I only caught the very tail end of that, but heard a lot of you know, a lot of stories, a lot of uh, them were sharing their experience of just getting out there and working with the Philippine Marines, you know, working up there with uh, 
you know, the rock Marines. And, and you know, I, I think that we pull back a little bit and, and instead of having those bodies come out of meth to make those engagements, I know that we use the reserves a lot more. So it sounds like I was sort of in between, you know, going from a very active, you know, a, a platoon that was getting out there and, and doing the engagements to, I think we, it sounds like we are somewhat of a hybrid to now, I think it's really primarily focused on planning. And Colonel Olson, that leads into my follow-on question, which was going to be, what, what did your, uh, what did your section look like? So you had a platoon. Was that several teams? How many Marines did you have working with you? Well, the platoon was immediately proceeding really when I got there. Uh, and so although there was still, uh, I guess on the tables or organization, a platoon that was winding down, by the time I got there, it was already down to maybe 12 Marines, you know, and so really they were getting orders one by one. And it was actually a little bit sad to see this group of guys that uh, you, you're working with them. And then every, seemed like every other week, you know, another one was, was shipping out as they were downsizing the unit. You know, so that, that was, you know, definitely a dynamic time. All right. Thank you. So it sounds like you were able to do some distributed ops with sending teams out to do different things in different locations. It, it was, I mean, once we got down to that small, you know, I guess the fortunate part, is that the job we still had to get done. So although we didn't have, you know, the motivated sergeants to get out there, what we were left with was essentially, you know, seven, seven or eight of us that were still able to get out there. Uh, there was uh, myself, Pinker Quartery, and, and we had uh, three other, you know, captains. And uh, all of us basically broke it down to you know, regions, you know, and so I ended up really covering down anything that was Philippines. Uh, and then, you know, another officer was primarily doing Korea. It, it was, it, it was small and, and we got busy and we did still get to travel, which was a big upside. But the engagements, uh, the opportunities were there. Right. Colonel Craigs, what is, what does the current footprint look like for you over there in Okinawa? It, it's very different. Uh, when I got here, I had three, uh, a total shop three. Um, that would be me. Gunnery Sergeant, uh, Gunnery Sergeant Barcher, and a Staff Sergeant, Staff Sergeant Consino. Uh, I lost my Staff Sergeant within 10 months, um, but I gained a Major and a Captain. So now, right now we're a team of four. We look at all regions. We we're trying to make ourselves experts on everywhere in the Pacific, and uh, it, it's, a work, it's a work in progress to get there. But we are coordinating a lot with uh, other forces in theater, with the Army in theater, and uh, sharing information that way and with uh, USN OPECOM with J9 so, uh, and with the Korean Peninsula. So we're in communication, but it's a very small shop now. We all fit in one room now. All right, well, in the Marine Corps, the Civil Affairs MOS is treated as a secondary MOS. So for both of you, you have a primary specialty of being judge advocates, but uh, you're also in Civil Affairs billets. Uh, is that the same for your team, Colonel Olson? Is it uh, all folks who come from different backgrounds? I'm sorry, not Colonel Olson, Colonel Frakes? Yes, uh, we have an inf infantryman. We have two infantrymen right now, and a supply officer, and uh, uh, also a career planner. So and it goes by MOS, the monitors pick who's up to supply for the BMLS. And at the moment, I believe it's infantry and motor T, motor transportation. Uh, before that was career planners. And so it, it just goes in that sort of rotation. Uh, the career planners just recently decided that it's time to go back to their primary MLS. And so I'm leaving. That's why Gunnery Barcher 
better starting departure is leaving. So I stopped starting with Cena left. But uh, I think I'll be getting a replacement coming from the grass. Right. So with that kind of turnover with uh, the expectation that Marines will turn return to their primary MOS at some point, how do you see that impacting your mission in a day-to-day? Well, I got I have to keep an eye on it. I have to keep an eye on who's staying and who's going. That's that's my biggest challenge and and also training. So as soon as uh, I own them, they sometimes come to me untrained. So I have to budget for that. And uh, so so for example, typically training education command will pay for attending McMoss, but with COVID, I can't just send somebody over there, but I do have an opportunity to send them to California for training, but I have to pay for it. So fortunately, I have the money and we're gonna try and do that, but I'm gonna lose them for you know, two weeks. So that's the main consideration is that we constantly have to get retrained and uh, brought up to speed. And in this theater, it's complicated. It's not just knowing uh, civil affairs, it's just not knowing the tactics, techniques, and procedures for civil affairs. It's, it's understanding the region and the intricacies of each country and, and each uh, organization that's responsible for uh, being the glue between us and the, the uh, civilians in that country. Colonel Olson, when, uh, in your previous billet, when you had civil affairs Marines similarly working from diverse backgrounds, did you find that that diversity in primary MOS, do you, do, how did you see that as impacting the mission? Was that a helpful thing? Was that something you were able to leverage? We were. I thought the diverse backgrounds were helpful. Uh, a lot of experience, you know, we talk about engineers or infantrymen that have been out there doing exercises in those, some of the countries we were working in before had some, you know, came in with some knowledge. I, I thought it was, it was good to have that diverse experience. Now, the downside of that is as soon as they got really good at the civil affairs piece, that's usually when you lose them. And so I would say that I like the diversity coming in, but it's always tough that you're you know, retraining your core group. And so I would say that's one thing that uh, I wish we had more of was a little bit of continuity is once we had a Marine come into the civil affairs and was to, to stay a little bit longer, you know, staying for a year, year and a half, sometimes was very challenging, especially as, you know, when you had a lot of country knowledge that they became very savvy on and developed points of contact in, in a community that we work in and then they're, they're out. And this also pays, you know, some friction or some friction points we had to overcome with constantly reintroducing ourselves every year, every dog attend or common dog, you're getting out there and say, well, I'm the new you know, sergeant so-and-so. And, and so that, you know, that became a little challenging. But as far as your question about backgrounds, I, I think bringing a lot of diverse backgrounds into the MOS up front is helpful. Thank you. And it, it sounds like the way the community and the table of organizations, the, the structure is gone. There's been a substantial diminishing in manpower. Uh, so having to lead small teams uh, what did you see as effective ways to, even though you had a small footprint, achieve a big impact? For example, were you able to rely on other Marines within uh, the G3, within um, other specialties, uh, other folks you were able to use to accomplish your mission? I, I would say from uh, you know, my time there, there was a lot of experience, you know, cross-pollination you know, among the sections and then also just within within our unit. I mean, someone that had done an exercise a couple times, you, you had a lot of good turnover opportunities, uh, but it was critical. And, and I think it's probably still the same where you got, you got to get out to the other sections. You cannot hide just in, you know, in the civil affairs section. I mean, you really got to get out and talk with uh, the G2 and the G3 and, and make sure they know what you, what you offer and make sure you're aware of what they can do to, to help 
your knowledge of regions you know, and developing your own expertise in different regions. But the, the experience is out there. I, I, at MEF, there was just so much good experience that we were tapping into. I, I thought that was a big strength of being out there. We'll be right back with our discussion between Major Robert Boudreau and his guests. Do you have an idea for an upcoming podcast or know someone who may be a good person to interview? Contact us at capodcasting at gmail.com. Hello again, friends. John McElligot here. I want to tell you about another reason for supporting the show. One CA is under the umbrella of the Civil Affairs Association, a 501c19 veterans organization. People can support the podcast through tax-deductible donations. Money raised will be used to send junior NCOs and officers to two events hosted by the CA Association. The first is a symposium held each fall. The second is a roundtable and workshop held in the spring. Each junior NCO and officer selected will also receive a membership to the CA Association. If you'd like to support the podcast, then please visit the CA Association website at civilaffairsassoc.org. That's civilaffairsassoc.org. And please remember that all donations are tax deductible. Thanks for your support. Colonel Craig's, uh, you touched on this a little bit earlier uh, as far as getting out in the community, doing civil reconnaissance and doing civil engagements. Uh, what, what does that look like currently for you all? Well, right now it, it doesn't look like anything. And that's simply because of COVID. Uh, traveling is very difficult. Before COVID, what that looked like was uh, an exercise uh planning initial site surveys gives us those opportunities to set the conditions for the uh, JIC motive joint uh, uh, civil military operation uh, center. So it, it gives those opportunities to set the conditions for NCAPs, uh, excuse me, engineering capabilities and for uh, community relations and health community engagements. That's, that's what it looked like. And, and for a small shop, it would very literally be me out there doing it. And I would have to uh, bring a team of non-CA folks to, to support me. One big change that has happened since Jan's time here is the MIG, the Marine Information Group, is growing. And its, it's role is to play the um, main supported element in the information domain. And that includes civil affairs. So. I'm working with them a lot. We liaise with them. Uh, send, I also sent out some of my guys to the division and be part of them and the MLG with our engineers. So the way I uh, try to make the most with a very small team is let my team go out to the other organizations and uh, so we can find our common ground and share our capabilities uh, to the same end. That's the way I think to succeed around here. Um, in this in this time where one we can't travel and two I have a shop of very few. All right, so with the MIG being a relatively new construct, the Marine Information Groups doctrinally has there been a problem with fitting civil affairs into that? Have you run into any friction points? Anything you can point to? No friction points. We're still working on it. It's, there's still things we need to iron out particularly the role of the, the G9, the role of the MIG. There, there's nothing that's a friction point. We just need to iron out the, the connective tissue there. And uh, the MIG is 
definitely uh, eager and willing to participate and to share information. But it's really about finding the harmony. It's not really about uh, any sort of friction points at this point. Uh, we, we do need to get, uh, hopefully, if, if the world were on my terms, we would get some get the detachment that Jan mentioned back, or at least some Marines, and, and hopefully have them down with the MIG, and the MIG can employ it. I think that would be a, a big victory, but I, I, I see that as years in the future, if anything. Have you seen the MIG, excuse me, the MIG be receptive to cross-training? Uh, have you seen them send any of their Marines out to, to receive civil affairs training? Uh, they are re beyond receptive and they're trying to, um, again, and this is going to be kind of my John B theme, COVID, COVID. <laughs> it's, it's been going on since, you know, February. So it's nearly a year, but do they want to? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, there's a huge demand signal for it. I'm trying to coordinate that at the time with the schoolhouse, but getting the schoolhouse here requires ROM, getting us over there requires ROM. And th those are the challenges. But the, the will is there and the demand is definitely there. That's great to hear. Colonel Olson, in your time with 3MEF, uh, can you give some examples of uh, perhaps uh, a couple exercises that you've been involved with and uh, how you're able to integrate with the rest of the staff uh, while also having a tactical role? Sure. You know, again, my main focus was Philippines. So I did a couple Bakatans and common dogs. And then uh, when the super typhoon Ompong came through, you know, we worked on on planning for that, preparing for that. But I, I will say, uh, really dovetailing off that last question about, you know, how can you bring in diverse capabilities, you know, and, and tie in effectively with the civil affairs. Uh, one experience I was at, at a Balkatan, you know, working at the Sarap and the, the Crow Valley Reservation, uh, doing one of these, you know, IRC teams. It was something that we had, uh, you know, Comstrat Marine with us, uh, you know, me, you know, translator and a Philippine civil affairs officer and, and going out there in the, uh, in the reservation, which was near the ranges. And there's a lot of villagers up there, uh, you know, these small village communities all around uh, uh, Sarap. And so our mission was, again, tying together with these other information-related capabilities, you know, in one Jeep, just you know, getting out in the hinterlands and letting these small communities know the dangers of being out in the range. And it really had an impact. It made the ranges a lot safer, you know, for that whole week. Uh, kept a lot of villagers that frequently in the past had wandered out onto the ranges collecting brass or just trying to see what was going on. Uh, but working in these these teams uh, really got the message across effectively. Uh, and so that, that was one of very memorable experiences, just you know, taking that week uh, and a uh, couple weeks and, and just getting up there and, and doing those engagements in this, this environment with different capabilities. So I enjoyed that. I did have the chance to get up and, and work in Korea, do an exercise. Of course, we did a number of OPTs in Okinawa. We were very busy at the time, really trying to make sure that planners, you know, the whole you know, the planning community within G3 uh, were aware of what we could bring to the table. And I, I think we had a real impact making sure that exercises were realistic, you know, taking into account the, the civil environment is is a major friction point you know when you're trying to move forces through areas that have civilian populations and trying to interject those considerations into the planning uh, and exercises I, I thought was very successful so uh, we we were pretty busy you know working on again opts and exercises uh, you know all over the you know paycom aor did you find opportunities to coordinate or interact with civil affairs folks in a foreign militaries at all 
We did. Uh, you know, me personally, I worked most closely with the Philippine CA, and uh, that again, I found very personal rewarding as we got around there. Uh, you know, Oliver Luzon in the last exercise and paired up in each region wherever there was a U.S. you know working with the Philippine you know, armed forces that area. I link up with this you know the local civil affairs, the Philippine civil affairs in there, and we would do these you know, engagements together, you know, whether it was, you know, meeting teachers and, and making sure that the, the young kids that were in that community knew where to go, where not to go, you know, but that, that was, a, again, another very rewarding experience. Thank you, sir. Colonel Olson, uh, excuse me, Colonel Craigs, in your current role, what other players, uh, either within the DOD or uh, perhaps the interagency, what, what other partners uh, out there are you able to work with at 3MEP? I've been working with the Army quite a bit with uh, Uber in uh, SOCPAC, and that's been a very positive experience. Um, they, we're shifting, the, the map is following the Commandant's planning guidance uh, right now. So it's a, there's a, a different mindset in where the Marine Corps is going and how the Marine Corps is willing to fight. And that sort of uh, direction I think necessitates that we work with our partners in the region. So mostly I've been working with, with the Army. I've been trying to do some coordination with the Navy, with their engineers and CBs. Of course, when we do exercises like uh, Balakatan, which we're planning for right now, that's going to be a joint exercise. So we have to uh, coordinate with our sister services. Always in touch with USAID, with our OFTA rep, but there hasn't been any disaster since I've been here that it required us as the Marines to jump in. So I would say the majority of it is working with our Army brothers and uh, just finding common interests, finding where we have the capabilities that they might need or finding if they have uh, regional access to areas that we're interested in engaging with the civilian community. That's, that's really been much of the talk and it's been going, I think, very well. They're, good group out there. Have you found opportunities to work with uh, Department of State through either the embassies, uh, looking more at the diplomatic mission? Have you had any involvement with uh, trying to reach any synergies along that uh, line of effort? Not too much. Um, where I said we don't have that sort of direct line of access in, in this in this region. Um, that actually, I take that back. One exception is that we've been working uh, HADR observation with uh, the American Institute in Taiwan. And so uh, with their, they have an army liaison over there. And it's been a very positive experience as well. And this is something new, something we've never done before. We had to do it virtually because of COVID. Um, but we got to see how they use their national fire agency to respond holistically to natural disasters. And uh, hopefully as we grow and mature, will be able to play a role in that exercise, or, or at least do some subject matter experts exchanges. That, that would be optimal. All right, thank you, sir. Colonel Olson, uh, did you have similar experiences uh, with the dealing with the partners in the battle space? Uh, what, what was it like on the ground for you when you were there? So to answer your question about you know, our engagement with the embassy, you know, we really didn't have much direct interaction with the embassy. It was always, you know, through, uh, through the, I guess, the uh, chain of command. And so I think there was some engagement, just not at our, our level, the tactical level. 
the one the one example I can think of is there was one of our, our lines of effort again down at Serap was to make sure that there was an understanding of what certain munitions look like uh, that we particularly didn't want the children to touch. And so we created, uh, you know, working with the Philippine Civil Affairs, we created jointly a flyer, really a poster, you know, and sort of a, developed this campaign, uh, information campaign that pushed out to the schools and in a lot of the areas that we thought there was more danger that, you know, children might might find these munitions or, you know, get, get hurt you know, looking for them. And so that was uh, one, one point where we actually did work uh, with the embassy to get that campaign approved. Uh, so that, and they were they were really efficient. You know, we pushed up what we had. They they reviewed it and pushed it back to us. But that was the one instance I can think of where I really had direct communication on, on that one campaign. Uh, other than that, similarly, you know, the OFTA rep uh, we worked hand in hand with. And so you know, USAID, again, Philippines, or whether it was you know other exercises, we always worked closely with USAID you know, for that disaster preparedness, disaster response. Uh, and, and I really enjoyed that as well. But th those were the two main ones. Right. Navy CVs, well, we mentioned a little bit earlier. Colonel Olson, uh, we know that the Navy does not have uh, an organic civil affairs capability. Did you have uh, opportunities to partner with the Navy? And we talked a little bit about the, the Commandant's uh, planning guidance. Do you have an opportunity, you think, to, to um, build uh, on relationships with the Navy during your time in Okinawa? I was, and, and particularly that actually had to do with, again, visiting NCAP sites and doing, you know, one year, you know, post, you know, build assessments. And so that was the one line of effort where I did work with the CVs and work with the Navy, you know, in developing these, these schools. You know, they go out and build these two or three bedroom, or not bedroom, uh, classroom schools. And, uh, you know, our piece was really to understand the site and then, you know, link up with the Navy and the CVs in particular, understand their projects, and then, uh, conduct engagements in the vicinity of the school. So I, I did work for them in that capacity. Thank you. Colonel Crapes, uh, returning to you, can you give any uh, examples of international partners that you've been able to uh, to work with, to coordinate with, uh, for example, any international organizations, uh, you know, operating outside of the host nation governments? Well, most of my interaction has been by, with, and through our, our military Partners. My foreign interaction has been by with and through our military partners. So, like Jan, I've worked with the uh, Philippine Civil Affairs with their Marines, and they've introduced me to some NGO NGOs or Philippine NGOs in the region. But I, that wasn't any direct involvement with me. I also worked with uh, our Japanese liaisons observing. Uh, HADR exercises and Miyakojima, that was called RightX, and here in Okinawa called Tershima Rescue. And in those, I'm able to explore and talk to some of the Japanese NGOs and civil organizations that are uh, that play a major role in disaster response. But partner would be too strong of a word in this at this stage. It's it's still in the getting to know you phase uh, in this region. Colonel Craigs, I'll stay with you for a moment. Uh, in the current COVID environment and kind of looking forward, where do you see uh, your mission shifting, if at all, once we either continue in this current normal or as we start to return to what we perceived as normal prior to February this year? Well, I'd really like to return to what we perceived as normal before February this year. If that, if that occurs, we will definitely have more opportunities to both plan in person and, and get out and 
do active civil reconnaissance, civil engagements, and, and play a larger communicative role in the civilian community about being a partner of choice. And that's really what we want to do. Uh, during COVID, unfortunately, everything then is virtual, you know, not unlike what we're doing here, but we're in planning conferences, and it's far more challenging um, because there's a lot of things going on beyond civil affairs and, and uh, everybody's squeezing into that bandwidth. So COVID has definitely uh, made what we're trying to do exponentially more difficult. It's hard enough in, in this theater to learn every country, to get access in every country, to partner in every country, and to you know, not only uh, develop OASIS projects, but then assess the OASIS projects. That's, that's a challenge enough for a team of you know, four right now. But we throw it all done via computer, and uh, it takes a lot of focus uh, to keep it going. That's that's a long way of saying I really hope that we get back to normal, and that would be that would be a wonderful gift if that happens before uh, my tenure expires. I think we can all second that, sir. Well, I think this has been a great discussion, and uh, I think it'd be hard for any Marine Corps conversation to end without saved rounds. So Colonel Olson, uh, I'll ask you, uh, do you have any lessons learned, things that you would have liked to have seen done differently or uh, other opportunities for growth for future civil affairs Marines going downrange? Thanks, I, I think that it's really the future we have to keep in mind and, and how we shape the community, how we integrate in with the MIG. Uh, and that was always one of my great frustrations uh, working in civil affairs, as much as I enjoy it, is that my sense was there's still a lot of Marines that didn't understand it, didn't really understand the value that we brought to the table. And I think we made big strides and I think we're continuing to make strides. And, and as we participate in these exercises and bring this whole line of thinking to the, to the planning and to the execution of these exercises, I, I think people are, are starting to get it. Marines are starting to see it. Commanders are, are seeing the value we bring and, and understanding the space they're working in, understanding how civilians will impact operations. What I'm hoping for is that that understanding and appreciation translates into a bigger footprint and just a a better way forward because it, it seems that this has been a long-standing problem. As long as I've been involved and in, in, uh, watched civil affairs, even from a distance, it's always a community that's expanding and contracting and trying to right size and you know the right get the right structure and the right people in it. I would just hope that going forward we can develop as a Marine Corps, not just the appreciation, but a long, is a long view of, of the structure we need to support this capability. And that uh, what I like to see is, you know, the Marines that love civil affairs get the opportunity to stay in it. Uh, because many times you see people that just have just a natural aptitude and, and just expert knowledge of a region and a desire to stay in the MOS, but, you know, have to have to leave. And have to rotate out and so i think we have a lot of uh, lost opportunity to, to leverage some of the talent we have in the marine corps uh, by making civil affairs this sort of b billet that is fleeting you know fleeting opportunity I, I would like to see going forward some opportunities for marines who enjoy civil affairs and have that aptitude for it to be able to stay in it longer term and i, I do think the marine corps would reap some tremendous benefits you know if, if we did that thank you colonel olson colonel Craigs, any closing thoughts um, I'll just point out that I think post the Commonwealth planning guidance that you know, our community civil affairs were, we're at an inflection point. And 
3MAP is addressing that guidance by ready, ready to, by being ready to fight now and by being a competitor in the region. And civil affairs, I think we need to communicate that through our actions. Whereas Comstat does it through words, we should do it through our actions. And that action should show that we are the partner of choice and that we're fully capable and we're ready to respond for them in any crisis whatsoever. And, uh, and that we're not going to leave and that uh, we are the trusted organization and we're the organization of good faith. Um, and I think that's what civil affairs needs to uh, communicate in this new uh, viewpoint of the region. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, and I hope that we're going to get there. I, I hope we're going to get there. We're not there yet uh, with civil affairs, but I really hope that whatever I'm doing, I'm setting those uh, building blocks for my successors to build upon and, and help us get there. Fantastic, sir. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you both again for uh, taking some time and joining us on the podcast. And uh, I'll just wish you well. Both of you stay safe and Semper Fidelis. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this podcast and others, please remember to subscribe and hit like. So the 1CA podcast team gets important feedback and support. The Civil Affairs Association is a proud sponsor of the 1CA podcast and the Unomia Journal. You can find more podcasts like this on www.1capodcast.org. The Unomia Journal is expanding its content to reach a broader audience and engagement across defense and governments to include other partners in allied countries. New sections in the Warrior Scholar Corner and the Team Room aim to deliver content useful to our members. Check out the Unomia Journal at www.unomiajournal.com. If you are not a member yet, please visit the main CA Association website and find a new range of membership options. Don't miss out! Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory.